Matthew chapter 13, we will read the parable of the soils. Many of you are probably well familiar with this on one level or another. It's in Matthew's gospel, it's in Luke's gospel, it's in Mark's gospel. It's a very important parable. All of chapter 13 really is, is the parables of the kingdom. There are seven parables in this chapter. And we'll begin reading at uh, verse, thir- what, let's, I'll tell you what, let's just go through, it's a, it's a fairly long section, so rather than read the whole thing, we'll just work our way through it, because I think most of you are generally familiar with the parable of the soils, and those of you that aren't, it won't take long to catch on to it. So let's pray over this, and then we'll start dissecting and seeing what the Lord has to say to us today. Father creator, maker of heaven and earth, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Lord, we just present ourselves to you right now. And we pray, Lord, that all of the troubles and anxieties and all the things that we have been weighing us down and wearing us out, Lord, that, that you would just help those to dissolve away in the worship of your holy name. Dissolve away as we focus ourselves in on your word and your heart. Father, we just need something fresh today in our own lives. That we might see something new or experience you in a new way today, Lord. Just rekindle a passion that has quieted. Or Lord, rekindle a new passion in us. We just open our hearts to be burdened by you, Lord. Burdens that can't be neglected or written off, Lord. That that you would place in our hearts. Burdens for the things that burden you. And Father, I pray that, that your word would penetrate, would impact, would change. We are so needy, Lord. We are so poor in and of ourselves, and you are so rich. And we thank you, Lord, for pouring out your riches and giving them to us and taking on our poverty. That through you, we might have life and have it more abundantly. Father, I pray that every soul in here owns that truth, that we would have life and have it more abundantly. So just, uh, Lord, do a work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. We are going through the Gospel according to Matthew, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, uh, working our way to the cross and to the resurrection and maybe even asking yourself as we go through this, maybe it's the first time you've ever gone through uh, the, a, a book of the Bible entirely and maybe you've wondered how in the world did God take on hor- human flesh and end up being crucified in a humiliating way like a criminal? I mean, how did that happen? What went wrong? And so as we read through, we're kind of reliving the past as we see exactly what did go wrong. So this is the biography of Jesus Christ. It's his life story, his words, his works. And 
last chapter, chapter 12, we saw that Jesus uh, had performed a healing to which the religious people, the religious Jewish people, had attributed to Satan. And they had basically committed or were in danger of committing what was called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They had rejected the Spirit of God. They had rejected the kingdom of God. And this is the same day that this has happened. Verse 1 of chapter 13 says, On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great, great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Uh, interesting teaching ap- um, atmosphere, isn't it? Jesus is sitting And the crowd is standing. And Charles Spurgeon said that would sure keep a lot of people from sleeping in church. If the preacher sat, which this one does, and the people stood during the teaching. But the the only, just a simple thing to notice here. Jesus is sitting down in the boat. No doubt he doesn't want to, if he stands up, you know, uh, maybe he'll fall out. Because that's what I would do if I was in a boat like that. I'm not Jesus. Uh, Maybe he's got a lot, you know, heavenly balance or something. But not me, I'd be pitched out into the water. But he's sitting down, and, and there's a lot of human pressure, preaching pressure, I'll call it, to be exciting and to be creative and to be animated and dramatic in our, our preaching. And you've got you know, Chuck Smith, when he was talking about as an early pastor, an early preacher, his uh, wife would tell him, now, Billy Graham, when he preaches, he walks around a lot and and, and now you need to do that. And so Chuck's must say, oh, I guess I'll try to walk around like Billy Graham does. And so Chuck walked uh, around a little bit and got away from the pulpit and forgot his notes and didn't know what he was supposed to say. So Chuck Smith, if you've ever seen him preach, he just stands uh, right there at the pulpit and, and he preaches. He's not very exciting as far as his presentation, but his presentation of the word of, of God is wonderful. And so here's Jesus. He's not sweating or perspiring or screaming or yelling. Uh, He's just sitting in the boat, very calm, and, and no trouble there, uh, not having to work up to try to hold people's attention. Look, the Word of God is, is um, such a wonderful thing. It doesn't need to be uh, empowered. It's got power in and of itself for those that will hear. And that's what this whole thing is about. So Jesus is sitting on the boat, or in the, in the boat, just away from the shore, to get away from the crowds a little bit so he could address them. Verse 3 that says, then he spoke many things to them in parables. And just stop there for a minute. He's spoken before uh, very plainly. You know, he, he said, hey, look, uh, you have heard it was said this, but I say to you it's this. He spoke with great authority, and, and it caused some great conflict between him and these religious leaders. And after the events of chapter 12, now, he's, Jesus sort of changes his style to predominantly parables. And so first we have to understand what a parable is. Uh, the word is two Greek words, para and bola, and it means to cast alongside. To cast alongside. It's a picture of two ships pulling alongside of one another. You know, the cannons sticking out of each there at war with one another. And the two ships pull alongside and start firing back and forth. They're mirror images of one another. And a parable is simply a mirror image. If you're a math student or you like math, I was never very good at math, but we get the word parabola from the same place we get parable. And if you know anything about 
parabolas, I, then you need to get out more often. But uh, no, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> I, again, I'm not a math guy, but a parabola has a, a line of symmetry. It's, it's basically a line that's graphed and it's arced, it's curved like a semicircle. And there's a line in the center of it called the line of symmetry. And the neat thing about a, a, a parabola is that if you know what you have on the left side of the line of symmetry, then you automatically know what you have on the right side because it's a mirror image. So if you know what's on one side, then you don't have to guess. You know what's on the other side. And so when Jesus teaches in parables or parabolically, you could say, he lays out truth that they can easily grasp. He talks about seeds and he talks about bread and he talks about planting and farming and all of these things that they're very, very familiar with, pictures that they understand in the natural world. And so that's what's on one side. And then if you grasp that, then it's a very easy thing to grasp what's on the other side. If you know this truth, then you can easily understand this truth. But some people still miss it. And we'll find out why as we go through. So Jesus was speaking to them in parables saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Then some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now pay real close attention. Verse 9, you may want to underline that. It's going to be integral. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we're speaking about a sower. Again, not as familiar in our John Deere days where so much is done through uh, an automated fashion. But here we have a guy who's a farmer. He's sowing seeds. He's, he's casting out seed. And they would have a big sack, a big bag, and they would just take liberally handfuls of seed and kind of toss it out like this. Any of you guys have done that? Maybe if you planted grass seed in your yard, you just take that seed and you, you toss it out there. And that's what a sower was to do. He was to take it and just sow it out. Now, he didn't take one seed at a time and say, well, I'll put this one here and this one here. And every type of soil is going to experience that seed. Because as he throws it out, some of it sort of falls here. Some of it gets carried a little bit by the wind. And so uh, his job is just to cast it out liberally, and it will fall on all of these different types of soil. Well, one of the types of soil is this soil where where the seed falls by the wayside in in verse 4. The wayside is simply, you can put next to that, the road or the pathway. This was the pathway where people walked between fields or through a field. It was just a footpath. And so because it was a footpath, what naturally would happen to the, to the ground, the soil, would get, it would get hard and packed. So when the seed falls on, on that hard-packed pathway, it can't penetrate. And so the first, just put, if you like to take notes, put no penetration. It just can't penetrate. It can't get into the soil. And if a seed never gets into the soil, it can't sprout. But not only that, so it doesn't just lay there, but when it lays there, the birds see it, and they go, ah, lunch. And so they come along, fly down, and they grab that seed, and they take it away. 
And so on the footpath, do you get any kind of crop? No, it, it never grows anything. It stays hard packed. Now, the second place, verse 5, says some fell on stony places. Now, the stony places are, are like Fluvanna County, if anybody farms here. Uh, it's like there's rocks. You know, Fluvanna grows rocks. I just look out in the field, and the, where did those rocks come from? You know, you clean them up, and then they're there again. And this, the thin topsoil, it's just, it's very thin, and underneath that is, is a rocky layer. And so the seed lands on there, and it quickly uh, sprouts. It comes up quickly, and so it's like, ooh, exciting. There's a little bit of growth there. But because the soil's shallow, it, it never puts down any root. There's no root. There's no depth. So you have no penetration in the first kind. This kind penetrates, but it doesn't ever get to put down roots. It's got no depth. And so when the sun comes out, as the sun does in the Middle East, all that moisture that was on the surface in that surface soil, it evaporates quickly. And then because that plant or that seed doesn't have any deeper roots to get to the soil that's kind of, or to the, uh, to the moisture, uh, moist soil down below, it just withers and dies. It can't access the water at a lower level. And so it dies. So do you get any fruit there? No fruit there. There is uh, no depth and no root, and so it gets scorched. Verse 7 says, some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up and choked, up, uh, choked them out. So the seed is cast in a place where there's other seeds, the weed seeds. And we know, I can always tell a weed at my house. A weed is the thing I cut down a thousand times and it keeps growing back stronger every time. A plant is the thing you, you, you plant, you water it, and you, you nourish it and, it, and it dies. A weed is the thing you neglect and you cut down and it grows really big. Helga always, yeah, I can't tell the difference sometimes. I'll, I'll cut the grass and I'll say, oh, I ran over those weeds over there. No, oh, that was my plant. Don't do that. I'm not a good gardener. So this kind, there's weed seeds there. And so the weeds tend to grow faster and more vigorously than, than the seeds we want to grow. And so as this seed is coming up, these other seeds are also growing and they're competing for moisture. They're competing for nutrients. They're competing for sunlight and they're winning. And so they grow fast and vigorously and the seed that the sower threw, what happens to it? It gets choked out. There's competition. So right down next to that one, competition. And then finally, it'd be a very disappointing parable if it wasn't for verse 8. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop. So there was some seed that found good soil. It penetrated into the soil. It put down root in that soil. There weren't any weed seeds to crowd it out or choke it out. And the result is, what do you get? You get fruit. And a lot of it, a hundredfold. 60-fold, 30-fold, you get multiple times when you plant a tomato seed, you get a tomato plant. And on that plant, do you just get one tomato? No, you get multiple tomatoes, and in every tomato, there are hundreds of other seeds. So there's this multiplication process that happens when you are uh, planting that's understood. So was the problem with the farmer? No. No. The problem wasn't with the farmer. He cast seed into all kinds of different places. The prob- problem was the problem with the seed. Was the seed defective? 
No, because it did bring forth fruit when it was on good soil. So the problem is in what? The soil. The different kinds of soil. There's four different kinds of soil that he talks about. And the problem is not with the farmer. The problem is not with the seed. The problem is with the soil. Now, we'll get to the interpretation of this parable in a little bit. But first, verse 10 says, the disciples come to him. And they ask him, why do you speak to them in parables? I mean, Jesus, why don't you just tell them the truth? Why don't you just say it, you know, already? Just tell them what you want to tell them. That's a good question. Why don't, Jesus, why don't you just tell them what you want to tell them? Well, he answers the question. He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now, these are called kingdom parables. There is the world that we live in, and the world has a set of rules that it operates by, you know, Get all you can every time you can. Look out for number one. You know, take care of yourself first. Uh, those are, are worldly principles in a lot of ways. You know, ambition and these kind of things. The kingdom of God operates under different principles. And these parables are teaching them, uh, are meant to teach them about how the kingdom of God operates. The fact that it's right there among them. And what things in the kingdom of God look like. And that's what you need to know. You need to know that you were raised up under a worldly philosophy. And that when you become part of the kingdom of God, you recognize that all of what you thought was wrong. And you have to kind of relearn everything about how does the kingdom of God operate. And so he says, hey, it's been given to you to know the mysteries. A mystery is just something that was previously disguised but now is revealed. But to, so there's an us, there's a you, the disciples, and a them. And we're not doesn't say who them is. But we'll understand that in a second. It seems unfair, doesn't it? Seems like, well, that's not fair. So let's read a little farther and we'll see why it's like that. Why has it been given to them? You see, the whole purpose of parables is not to disguise or conceal. But actually to reveal. If you read Mark, if you read Luke, you'll see that Jesus says, look, you don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel. You know, you don't take the truth and hide it or disguise it. That's not the point. Jesus is not trying to disguise truth or hide the truth. Far from it. He's trying to reveal it. But parables have this beautiful way of both revealing truth to those that want to know it and concealing it from those that don't. So it's not that Jesus is trying to be sneaky. Look what he says, verse 12. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So this is a great principle that, that applies in a lot of ways, not just here. But let's ask this question first. He says, For to whoever, to whoever has, to him more will be given. The question I ask is, has what? Whoever has what? Anybody know the answer? It was right there in the text. Go back to verse 9. Whoever has what? Ears to hear. Right. So it's not that they could. This, it's not that Jesus said, well, I'm not going to let you know the truth. It's not, not going to reveal it to you. You're somehow on the outside because I just don't like you. And I just don't want you to know. It's my secret and I'll tell who I want. That's not what's going on. God has designed the truth to be received in such a way uh, by those who are willing 
to receive it. Now, the nice thing, the beautiful thing about this is God gives understanding to the simple. It doesn't say the truth will only be understood by those that have spent years in study, have, been, have multiple doctorates and PhDs and all of these things, and highly intellectual with a tremendous IQ, and have spent years in study. Is that what it says? I mean, seminary is a wonderful thing for those that have ears to hear. But if you don't have ears to hear, it says right here, whoever has, whoever has, to him will be given, and he will have abundance. See, the key, listen carefully, the key to knowing God, the key to knowing more, to understanding the kingdom is to want to understand, to be open, to come ready to receive, to come and, and be willing to apply yourself and your heart to the truth. Some of you today are sitting here and you've come, but you don't have ears to hear. You're sitting here and you're listening. You see, that's the difference. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. You all have ears, at least as far as I can tell. Most of you, I'm see, like those of you who have glasses are easy to tell you have ears because they're sitting there on your ears. But you have ears. You have this, this external piece that collects the vibrations and the, the noise waves and the sound waves, and they go into the ear, and they travel down the, to the eardrum, and that activates the three little bones that click and clack together and somehow turn that clickety-clacking into electrical uh, stimulus that then goes and is understood by your brain, and you hear this loudmouth preacher talking to you about something you have no idea what I'm talking about. Ears and bones clickety-clacking. That's hearing. That's the, the physical aspect of hearing. The mechanical aspect, but there's a difference between hearing and listening. See, you're, you can be listening right now, but not hearing. It's the difference between when around your house, when the phone rings, everybody hears it ring, but then who gets up to get it, right? You can listen to it ringing, but the person who hears actually responds and goes up to answer the, the phone or to answer the door when you hear someone knocking, Some of you may already have your mind up like the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were those that didn't have ears to hear. They already had their mind made up. And that may be some of you. You've sat in here maybe for a number of weeks, but you've already got your mind made up. You already believe that those that believe in in this Bible, it's that we're somehow deceived and us poor, poor people. We just don't understand the truth. And you've already got your mind made up. And so your heart is not open to the truth. You would be qualifying as one that does not have ears to hear. So will you receive anything? No. Matter of fact, Jesus says, even what you have will be taken. Even when you come in here and you hear, I'm reading from the Bible, from the Word of God, and you might hear something interesting or you might learn something about it, and then uh, the more you close your eyes to it, the dimmer and dimmer and dimmer it will become. And even the little light that you're receiving as you continue to harden your heart, will actually be taken from you. It will diminish to to nothing. By the way, just uh, if you read Matthew 25, you'll see Jesus say the same principle again. You see, there's principles of the kingdom of God. And they exist whether you like them or not. This is what I try to tell people that reject God, that you can reject God all you want, but but, but His word is still truth, whether you like it or not. You see, this morning... 
you might have gotten out of bed and decided you didn't believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. I don't, matter of fact, I don't even want to submit to gravity. So I'm going to fly today. I'm just going to fly around from place to place. Could you do that? No, why? Because it doesn't matter what you think about gravity. It exists. And it works. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not. These things, these, these truths of the kingdom, they exist whether you like it or not. To whoever has... Matthew 25, Jesus uses the same truth in conjunction with the parable of the talents. One is given ten, and one is given five, and one is given, given two or one, or I can't remember how the numbers work out. They were all given, and those that actually used what they were given got more. And the one that didn't use what he had, it was taken from him. And he says the same words there, whoever has, more will be given. The principle is this, use it. Or lose it. Use it or lose it. And the answer to the question there, whoever has faithfulness. Whoever has faithfulness, to him more will be given. God makes it so simple, doesn't he? This is not like rocket science. This is not Harvard PhD theology. This is simple principles from the word of God. If you come and your heart is open, you will learn so much. And you will grow. And, and let's go. Let's mo- keep moving on. He says, verse 13. <clears throat> Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. It wasn't that they couldn't hear, was it? It was that they wouldn't hear. I remember when our kids were young. Uh, Jacob was our firstborn. And, I, you know, that nothing prepares you for having children. There's nothing, you know. We sat him in the car and we looked at him. And we said, well, what do we do with this thing? You know, I don't, I didn't take this class in school. It was weird with our first child. And we get home and it's like, okay, now what? Well, we got to feed him. I think we're supposed to feed him. So again, they didn't explain that to us either. You know, as he gets older, we start, you, know, you get the rice cereal and all the little things. You mix them up and you feed them in and, and, and out they come again. You, you push them in and out they come and they just spit them out. And I said, honey, I'm learning the Bible. Eating, he's not eating. What's going on with our son? He's eating, but he's not eating. You see, hearing, they don't hear. Seeing, they don't see. They saw Jesus' miracles. They heard his teaching, yet they, they, they rejected it. Just like our infant son, your infant child, eating, they don't eat. They're being fed, but they're not taking it in. You see, Jesus can take that truth. You can sit here today. I can take this truth, and and I can present it to you. I can put it in your mouth. I can put it in your ears. But I can't make you swallow it. And I can't make you hear it. And there's this concept that's on all the responsibilities on the pastor. The pastor's got to be creative. The pastor's got, look, I want to be creative. I want to present, like Solomon said, I want to present the word of God with beautiful words like well-driven nails, but half the responsibility is mine, or part of it is, probably less than half, but a lot of the responsibility is the listeners to be open to hearing. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, because they had rejected the kingdom. If you're a teacher, and you've ever had a mixed classroom of kids that wanted to learn and kids that didn't, how many teachers say amen? Amen. You're teaching a mixed multitude in that classroom. And there are those kids, man, they want to learn. 
They're hungry. They ask questions. They're interested. And there are those kids that would rather be anywhere but in your classroom. And they don't care what you're teaching. They just don't want to learn. The real challenge of the teacher is how to teach the ones that want to learn and and not hold them back because of the ones that don't. And yet how not to provoke the ones that don't want to learn, how to just have con- not to have constant conflict with them. So Jesus teaches in parables so that those that want to eat can eat and those that want to spit it out can spit it out. Does that make sense? What a teacher. What an example. And in them, verse 14, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. If you like to take notes, write fat or callous or insensitive. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Matthew says it's happening, or Jesus says, excuse me, Matthew records, it's happening to you guys just like it happened in the days of Isaiah when the people were, they were worshiping God in some ways, but they also had all of their other things they were worshiping too. So God was not first, God was not only, there were other gods, and it was this mix of spirituality. And Isaiah would preach and calling the people back to understand and worship their creator alone. And they wouldn't hear him. And so God says, who will I send? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. What's my ministry? Your ministry is going to be one where you are going to cause the people to become callous. Wait a second, I, didn't, I don't want that ministry. I want the ministry where people receive and get blessed and get saved. That's the ministry I want. And he told Isaiah to preach to the people because here's what happens how does a callus form from resistance or wear over a period of time and so as Jesus is preaching these parables what as they reject them over time they're going to become actually more callous and more uh, insensitive to the word so really it's a ministry of desensitization While there will be those that are bearing fruit, there will also be those that the more they hear, the more callous they will become. And the parables will produce those two different results, depending on how you come in. Coming to church on a Sunday morning, there can be both things happening. Some of you are just, you know, will come and just get more and more cold to the things of God from being here. The more I say, the more you disagree and the more you begin to, to want to reject what's going on. But others are just just sucking it in and and excited to hear. Notice who had closed their eyes? They had closed their eyes. Why? They didn't want to hear. It's kind of like the kids that go, la, 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 I'm not listening, la, 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 that kind of thing. They didn't want to be healed. I don't understand that. They didn't want to be healed. But blessed are you, verse 16, for your eyes... Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. 
they had heard about, the prophets of the Old Testament had preached about, heard about the Messiah. And here he was, the kingdom was right there. And they had heard of as all anticipated it, and they would come in the future, and it's now for them. And they're hearing it, and they're taking, what a blessing it was to those that would hear. Now, he gives the explanation. Are you still with me? Are we together so far? Are we understanding parables? He says, therefore, verse 18, hear the parable of the sower. So again, they, they, other places they say, well, can you explain to us what this parable means? They didn't, they didn't get it. So it's not about, you know, uh, I, I'm so intelligent that I understand right off the bat exactly what Jesus is saying. It's again, it's a willingness to learn. It's a willingness to ask questions. That's one of the keys to being a good hearer is when you don't understand, you ask a question. You just say, what does that mean? Excuse me, question, I don't get it. It's when you don't care that you don't ask. So these, they're, they're, you know, they're in private with Jesus. They probably were a little embarrassed. We, don't, we, we should understand this, but we don't understand, so we'll ask him in private, what does this mean? And so he tells them, here's what the parable means. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, see, that's what's going on. This is about the word. The seed is what? The word. The seed is the word. Who's the sower? Who's sowing here? Who's the one casting out the seed? The word. Jesus is. Jesus is the sower. And the word is the seed. So whenever, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it or does not apply themselves to it or does not open their heart to it, then the wicked one, who's the wicked one? Satan, and he's the bird in the parable. He comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. You see, the word of God, when someone's heart is hard, it never does what? What was the first soil? It wasn't penetrating. Didn't penetrate because the heart was hard just like the ground was hard. And Satan comes, steals it away. I have two, two wonderful opportunities for pastors, weddings, funerals. Place where oftentimes people's hearts are more open than especially funerals. When people are just ripe and ready to hear. Weddings, maybe not so much. (laughs) I remember being at a wedding and and I thought, man, the pastor just did a tremendous job at preaching about marriage and and Jesus. And, And afterwards to the reception, it was like, I remember thinking, I wonder if anybody actually heard what he said. I wonder if anybody was listening. He preached a great little sermon, but it was like it was just completely forgotten instantly. And sometimes you leave this place. And what was the sermon about at church today? Someone asked you, uh, I, um, I know it was, a, I, I, I think it was somewhere in the Bible uh, from something there. I'm sure. Give me a time. I'll think of it. You've got to apply your mind. You've got to open your mind. Otherwise, it just gets stolen away. Satan steals it and there's no fruit. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Verse 20 says, But he who receives seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. 
So the second seed is that shallow seed. It has no root. It has no depth. And again, you can just write if you like to take, take notes there. Shallow. And some people come and they hear the word of God. And at first, I mean, I can't tell you how many times someone will come up to me after a, a message. Oh, man, we've, we've been to the church twice now. We just love it here. And man, it's, oh, the word is great. I'm so excited. And then they're gone. I don't see them again. And it's not, you know, and you know, you know people that know them. And it's not because they're going to another church somewhere. That would be fine. But it's just because, you know, uh, something happened. You know, and in this case, it's persecution. Because you begin to try to live differently and your friends come down on you. Or you begin to make some changes and people make you feel bad about it. And then you kind of, oh, well, you know, I don't want to lose my friends. And so uh, a tribulation comes. You know, something happens in your life. And you go, why would God let this happen? Why do these things... I thought God loved me, and, and there's really no depth of relationship. Your relationship with God is very shallow. It's only about what God can do for you. And so when it actually comes to sacrificing something, when it actually comes to changing something, it's hard. And so whatever seed, whatever initial growth was there, it, the sun comes and it bakes it and, it, and it just, whatever was gained is now lost. No root. No, you need to have roots. You need to have depth of soil. Now, verse 22 says, he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Uh, This is probably the one in America that is the uh, most common for those in the church. That the word is going out, but there are all these weeds, these things that are competing for our time, competing for our resources. you we can only focus really on one thing at a time, right? I mean, truly, you can only give your attention to one thing at a time. The problem is that we have uh, the word cares. You can circle that. And right next to that, anxiety. Anxiety. The word marimna just means to divide. And it's those things that divide your attention. That you want to do what God says. You want to open your heart to the word. But I've got all these other things going on in my life. All these other things to worry about. I mean, you know, who's going to pay my rent? Who's going to pay the car payment? You know, who's going to get the kids to practice? How are we going to get ahead in this world? I have all these other things. I, I, when, when life eases up for me, then I'll listen to the word of God. And you know, life never eases up, does it? It never comes. But because of anxieties, or look at the other thing, deceitfulness of riches, deceitfulness of abundance. What is that all about? What is so deceiving about abundance? Here's my guess. I mean, I don't know. Jesus doesn't say what the deceitfulness of riches. It probably could be applied in a couple of ways. But I know this. The Pharisees would have thought and had the understanding that the person who is blessed, the person who is financially well off or is doing well, is the person whom God approves. So therefore, hey, if I'm doing well in life, and, and things are going well for me, God must be happy with me. I must be okay. I'm blessed. Everything's fine. I got everything I need. Uh, if anything happens to me, I've got money. I can take care of it. It's a deceitfulness of riches. That you don't need the Lord. That you don't need the Word of God. I've got everything I need. If I get sick, I've got money for health care. If I need food, I've got money to buy it. I just don't, I don't need it. I'm, I'm okay. I'm insulated from trouble. And it's deceitful. Otherwise, all rich people would be happy. All rich people would be content and fulfilled 
Is that the truth? So you may have another understanding of that, but these are the thorns. Look, you may have a lot of thorns in your life, and those things may keep you from actually bearing fruit to God. It may choke out the very thing. Look, you got to get, you got to plow that field, get rid of those weeds, man, whatever it is. Get rid of those weeds, those anxieties to open yourself up to hear the word of God. Verse 23 says, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understand it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold some 60, and some 30. Ah, oh, that is, the, the, the word of God contains everything you need to be fruitful. The problem is, will your heart be ready to receive it? This is really the parable of the four hearts. Parable of four different types of ways of receiving the word of God. Look, the word of God is living and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God brings transformation. It brings fruit in people's lives. Whether you believe it or not, it does. It truly does. And and the people, when Paul preached in, in Thessalonica, he was thankful because the people received the word of God as it is in truth, not the word of man, but the word of God, which is also effectively working in you. It's bearing fruit. So the question I have, do you look at your own life? When you look at your own life, do you say, yeah, the word of God is, to, is having an effect in my life and I'm bearing fruit because of it. Where do you place yourself in, in these four soils? Are you the hard-hearted one who you just have your mind made up ready and you're here and, and the, the harder your heart is, the harder it will get? You just don't want to hear it. You don't have to be left in that place. There are a lot of hard-hearted people who God, by His Spirit, comes in and softens them. It doesn't have to be that way. Or, do you just have a shallow relationship with the Lord? Or, just a lot of anxieties and other things that you're worried about, other things that you're involved in, other things that you're you're doing that, that keep you from focusing your attention on the Word of God? Or are you bearing fruit? And you know, you know the truth about yourself, right? The word of God is living and powerful. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Thy word have I written in my heart so that I might not sin against you. The longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, is about the word of God. And when you sit down, you know, don't just sit down, open your Bible and say, well, reading another history lesson, reading another, okay, I just... You know, it's the, it's the 25th of September, and I got to read Matthew chapters 10 and 11, so blah, 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 words, words, words. Okay, check that off the list. What next? When I sit down to read, I have one prayer that I pray all the time, and it comes right from Psalm 119. Lord, open my eyes so that I might see wondrous things from your word. It's in there. It's in there. And year after year, after moment after moment, after study time after study time, after studying to show myself approved under God, uh, unto God, a workman that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. What do I find in my own life personally? I find, found that 
again, you guys know I haven't been to seminary, but I've been teaching and receiving to my own life the Word of God for the last 11 years, and I have found it to bring a great abundance, staking the, the lives of my whole family on the Word of God. Because I'm the leader of the family, and so, you know, say we're going to stand on this Word, and I believe it to be true. It's the Word of God. And I... I'm going to give myself to it. No more playing games. No more hedging my bets. No more, you know, just doing enough to get by and look right. But family, we are going to open our hearts to the word. And we're going to watch as it bears fruit in our lives, as it brings abundance to us. And we understand and we grow and and, uh, just a fantastic, fantastic life. But if your heart is harder, you'll never know that. You will never understand that. You have to have good soil. There has to be penetration. There has to be uh, a depth of root. You've got to put down roots. There can't be a lot of weeds and things getting in the way. And then you will, the seed will bear fruit in your life, won't it? Those of you that know that, say amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, uh, wow, thank you, uh, that you have made your truth accessible to us, Lord, even the simple. That even the least educated among us can understand seeds and soil. And even the most educated among us can ignore your word. Father, I pray for the hearts of I pray for the hearts. I pray for the hearts of those here. Lord, I pray for this heart, my heart, that it would remain fertile for your word, Lord. I pray for these hearts that, Lord, we would come expectant and ready and open and willing to apply our hearts, our minds to your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would have your way in us can't wait to see the fruit, Lord, of of the last eight years. It's been great to see the fruit you've brought in this fellowship from eight years of, of working through your word. And Lord, as long as you tarry, look forward to seeing all that you still have yet to do in us, through us, and among us. Jesus, you are awesome. We would have never known you had you not revealed yourself to us, Lord. We give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. Because we have this treasure in earthen vessels, Lord. So the excellence of the power may be of you and not of us. And right now, Lord, we pray for any hard hearts in here, Lord. That by your spirit, you may instead of using this time to further harden, that you may begin to soften. That you would soften those hearts that have rejected you for years, Lord. And today, someone would humble themselves before you, confessing their sin, and crying out to be saved.
Jesus' name that we pray. All God's people said, amen. Close with the song.